Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, June 13th, 2021, and my name is Melanie C., a recovered compulsive overeater living in Canby, Oregon. The share ID numbers for Friday's Big Book Study meeting, June 11th, 2021, are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study is 17134-17,134. And the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study, the share ID number is 17135-17,135. And what a delight to have yet another opportunity to come together in the name of recovery. And the name of recovered, welcome. So glad that you've dialed in. These Sunday special editions are certainly incredible. And perhaps my that's my personal opinion. I hope not. A Vision for You Sunday special edition is a time to sit back and enjoy the miracles of the program by sinking deeply into the testimonies and teachings of those that, have, that are presenting. It is a step away from the weekday focused big book study into the lives of the recovered compulsive overeater. It seems appropriate to say, which I love to do, you may rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves. And that is actually a quote from our beloved big book. This morning, A Vision for You presents A Changed Outlook. We'll be focusing on the inventory process today. So it's the time for this lively endeavor of recovery to commence, the inventory process, the day that we've all been waiting for, the real treatment, the real solution for all and for good for this disease. And Bill W. calls it a disease, and it's a disease of addiction. Oh, in our case, compulsive overeating, it's all going to begin now. So sit tall, be alert, have pen and paper and big book at the ready, because you will not want to miss a thing. Here we go. We've come along and admitted in step one that we are compulsive overeaters, that we do not relate to food in a way that seems normal. We have an allergy of the body that activates a phenomenon, that our lives drunk with food or sober is unmanageable. Our minds reactively function obsessively. And with help, we are now entirely abstinent for having followed the outline in the big book around this with step one. Moving along to step two, we have panned our lifetime up and down and back again and have come to see that all our attempts to control and enjoy our eating or actually many aspect, other aspects of living life were not well managed by ourselves. And in many cases, especially important opportunities, but many, many more, they come crashing down all around us at our own hand. We saw this ourselves, and Bill Wilson cautions us about this leaving us to see that the insanity of our orchestration needed an overhauling and not by us. We needed help. A power outside our own, we are told, is what we need. We are so relieved and eager to be restored to sanity with this promise of step two, whatever that may may be and mean for us. We have come now to being confronted with a decision right and our left, to drive the stake directly and purposefully. We're going to do this far enough that we cannot find a way to wiggle out of it in step three. This is a crucial and vital choice, but it is dripping in hope and promise. It is a total surrendering sort of decision. And we are cautioned again to make it, make it quickly, and enter into this wisely. 
we are told that everything else from this point forward in the recovery process rests upon this trio, step one, two, and three. What decision is in question here? To turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God, step three. And we did this also as we did with one and two, humbly, carefully, considerately. As I was saying before, and I want to say again, we are now embarking now again on the lively endeavor. And it's a lively endeavor indeed. We are fast to begin the recovery process because we have taken steps one, two, and three abstinently. All the other distractions or failed remedies have been laid down. So are you ready? Aren't you excited? We are walking into the room of recovery, and today it will be together. The real solution. And it starts with clearing out the hardened heart. All the things that we thought were protecting us from whatever it was out there. We're going to find out all the things that are objectionable. Step four, laying it all out on paper. We're just going to write it all out, laying it all out. How come I am so angry, hateful, wounded, hurt, sorrowful, scarred, traumatized, indignant, with a mess all around me in certain places and areas or all places and areas? Step five, running this all by another. Being vulnerable enough to run it by another. It'll be your choice, absolutely. Perhaps best to have someone, though, that understands the process. You know, what we're trying to get to, which is how come? What has caused my condition? Not who, but what? Step six, identifying what has caused my condition. Now I am jaw-dropped amazed to see this for the first time. Because in so seeing and having made a decision about power, this is something that can be solved. I didn't see it before. I didn't know. Hallelujah. Step seven, here comes that God reliance, that real tucking in, that God reliance, that total surrender. That It's sort of sometimes cryptic. It's a kind of a cryptic idea sometimes that I cannot of my own be removing this condition or the traits of it, which we identified in step six. Step seven delivers just that perfect prayer, that proverbial handing over ceremony for God to remove. Remove those things from me, which leads us to step eight. Looks like we've harmed some folks and probably some places and things as well. And our soul requires a rearrangement because we require reconciliation. So we've listed them all out, taken a hard look at them, and we sincerely want to by this time. We see our part, and the good inside of us means to amend us all. Well, as luck would have it, there is a step to, step to bridge us, to piece us all back together again in various ways some direct amends and some creatively direct amends to such people wherever possible. And that is step nine. Yep, we are right smack dab in the middle of step nine so that Humpty Dumpty can be put back together again. Steps four through nine, referred to as the inventory process, clears the way. We are so blessed today to have a panel of special fellows that have submitted themselves to this 
enterprise called recovery, i.e. the inventory process. And we are prepared and are prepared, these folks are, to, to teach you precisely what they have done to have the recovered life that they now live today. And it is a glorious, glorious thing. So please help me in welcoming our panel, Terry C. from New Jersey, Matt J.F. from Kentucky, and Elaine B. from Massachusetts, all incredibly involved in the recovery world and especially a vision for you. We do not want to go without saying how grateful a vision for, for you is for their loyal, their loyalty, let me choose my words better, their loyalty, their service, and devotion to the daily Big Book study meeting, each in their own way while presenting an example of the rearrangements of transformation going through their inventory process, steps four through nine. We will open this morning by inviting Terry C. to come to the virtual proverbial podium. Then we'll proceed with our other panelists. So good morning this, to this very fine day, Terry C. We're so delighted to have you here. Thank you, Mel. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, if you could tune up a little bit, that'll be great. Otherwise, other folks can press star eight on their phone keypad and, and crank up the volume. Good morning. A little better? A little better? Maybe. And maybe it's just me. I'll check mine. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you. Ah, good morning. Good morning, everybody. I'm Terry C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. And I think I'm already crying from that intro because I have experienced this, these truths. I have experienced these truths about these steps. So um, provided you can hear me and I don't need any more adjustments, I'm going to be on my way here to share with you the incredible experience I've had with these steps that Mel so beautifully summarized. Uh, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to qualify very briefly and say I've been in the rooms a while. My alcoholic foods have been put down for quite a while. However, um, working the steps again, especially recently, to kind of uncover and discover any blocks uh, was really helpful to me. And when I was asked to do this panel, I was so elated to be able to affirm some of my recent uh, some of my recent uh, spiritual shifts and awakenings. Um, so I'm going to start there on this step, this four through nine, and talk to you first a little bit about uh, my recent experience, or at least my, my conviction about step three. Um, because in step three on page 64, it tells us that our decision is a vital and crucial step. And, you know, it really is vital and crucial because we can't do step four without step three. We just can't do it. It's just not possible. At least it's not for me. And, um, you know, I really had to look at those pages, 61, 62, and really admit the failure of my life when it's run on self-will. And, uh, you know, and, and recently, um, you know, just uh, having to see just what's, 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 what could be there? You know, why is this 10th step coming up a lot? What, what's going on? What, why is this happening? And when I went back through the steps again and I affirmed my decision, I could really see the failure of my life run on self-will, particularly in a couple of close relationships, relationships where the ideals need to change because marriages move on, children get older, parents get older, you know, and it was very helpful to me. So like to talk to you today about my relationship with my son, um, my adult child, my son, um, 
too, when I really got honest and I really looked at our relationship and why was it bothering me, what was the disturbance, I realized that I was resenting my son for not being responsible for his financial and physical well-being. There were things that I just thought, maybe if he did them a little differently, you know, maybe he could have these things that we've taught him or would be healthy for him, would be wise for him, you know, all these things. And I look at them and it's, it's um, you know, I see the truth as I'm talking to you about what this really is about. And, um, you know, I was concerned he's, he's, you know, at the time he was doing, I was doing this work, he's almost 30, he's single, like, why isn't he dating? I know that, you know, I know what his, his uh, sexual preferences, why isn't that happening? Um, his health habits, um, I fear that he could have this disease. Why isn't he taking better care of himself? What could, what could I do to perhaps, you know, be the, I don't want to be the, I, I want to be the attraction, not the promotion. Um, his lifestyle, what about his assets? Why isn't he taking better care of them? You know, he's worked so hard. He's such an accomplished young professional. These are my thoughts. And, you know, maybe they weren't all in a day. Maybe they weren't all in a week. But they were there. But they were there, you know. I couldn't accept why what was so important wasn't important to him. I just couldn't accept it. And on page 62, it says we're driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. Boy, is that not true here if you haven't heard it already. If it was so true. I mean, you know, my fears, um, he's going to die alone. No one's going to want him. Um, he's going to suffer from compulsive overeating. Oh, my God, I'm so afraid of this disease. These are some of my fears. The self-delusion was that his health, and his financial well-being was my responsibility. Oh, and by the way, did I mention he's an adult? Did I mention that he's almost 30? Um, also, you know, he's only going to be okay if he lives by these rules that my husband and I live by, you know, these, these plans, these rules. And then the self-seeking, I had to look at the manipulating, you know, uh, what does the book say? We're self-seeking even when trying to be kind. Oh, the packages, the care packages I would send to him so he would eat healthier. Oh, the conversation and often in jest joke with him about particularly goals that I thought he, particular goals I thought he should set for himself. And, you know, uh, I used to joke with him, like, when are you going to meet the woman of my dreams? You know, this is our running joke, but was it really a joke or was it self-seeking? You know, it was self-seeking to interject that into his life and, as my good friend on this line says, to insert myself into his life. And, of course, the self-pity, you know, the harm's done by, oh, you know, the complaining to um, – or, or the comparison of my sister's children and their lives and that sort of thing. Um, and then these columns help me look at the realization, the realization that at 220 plus pounds and so into my disease, was any care package going to change my life? You know, the realization that maybe in my life, money played a bigger part than it should play. And it wasn't playing that in his life. You know, maybe that was the truth. Or... The sick man's prayer helped me see there's often in my times 
often in my life, I've been spiritually misguided, whether I was 23, 30, 53. So perhaps these things were disturbing me, but I need to look at, especially my son, my own child as a sick friend. So I got to write the truths in the column. You know, I got to see what was really happening, the objectionable behavior. And this was made crystal clear in a fifth step by sharing this with another fellow, by someone who had already, you know, someone who carried a message of depth and weight and was willing to help me face the truth and still, you know, realize that God, a compassionate God, understood my behavior and my truth. Not that he condoned it, not that he said, oh, you're still, you know, this was, this was fine, but that he still loves me regardless. So I was in this process of the fifth step and writing the fourth step, and then in discussing it with someone else, I was able to see the lies, the objectionable behavior, the truth. But most of all, I was able to see my humanness. I was able to see that no matter what, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, I'm still a child of God, and that my God understands the bond of motherhood. And I can't say that enough. You know, this has been so liberating for me and such a shift for me that my God understands the bond of motherhood. Because for those mothers out there who understand that, for lack of a better word, protective attachment that we have to our children, there's a, uh, an understanding that God and I have now. You know, I know the truth, okay? I know some of the truths. Um, but let me get into some of them. You know, I think, I think, you know, on page 64 it says, this is a fact-finding and fact-facing process. And in those columns and in my fifth step, I was able to see my son was nearly 30. <laughs> He's not 12. You know, I have this rule that when I raised my children, I learned it from somebody in the rooms that I'm responsible for their safety, for them being legal, or for them being moral up to the age of a, of a legal or adult age. My son was now almost 30, way past keeping him safe, legal, and moral. I also had to look at the facts that this was a young, accomplished professional who owned his own home in the city, had done quite well in his career at such an early age, and was really living satisfactorily and happily alone. <laughs> Those are some facts that I really had to look at. And then, you know, um, you know uh, another thing was looking at the fact that on my own power, I couldn't have done this differently. You know, I don't want to admit the agnosticism. I don't want to admit the self-reliance. But I was clearly getting into that strongly with my son, clearly getting into that with my son. And on my own power, when I'm doing it, you know, when, when I'm doing God's job, instead of letting God do his job, this is where my thinking is always going to end up. This is my behavior is always going to end up here. And I think the most important spiritual truth was that God is always going to have my son's back, always, even when I leave this earth, especially when I leave this earth. 
God is going to have his back. He has his back now. And, you know, I once once did an exercise that was suggested to me, and that was write down all the plans you have for your children, all the visions of what their life should be. And quite, quite a long list came out for my son, quite a long list. And it read something like a Hallmark movie, pretty much. Um, you know, it was utopia at its best. And the truth is, just like me, my son will face disappointments. Just like me, my son will face failures. And unfortunately, just like me, my son may suffer. But God will always have his back. And I love that truth. I love that truth more than anything. So I was, you know, I I had to look at my objectionable behavior. And my behavior was really um, kind of commiserating or, uh, you know, complaining in a way, even though I didn't think it was complaining, maybe mentioning to my sisters, oh, I wish this, you know, it's kind of like the man who lulls in the Florida sunshine, right? Um, I had to look at how I was manipulative in conversation with my son. But most of all, I had to look at how I had through direct or indirect conversation insinuate that he wasn't managing his life well. It was a hard, hard truth to face that I had done that harm, that that was not fair and that that was unloving and it was the most selfish act. So um, that was a, that was a, a hard thing to face. And um and I really, from it, got to see this insidious behavior, this objectionable, this character defect of, you know, manipulating my children, my son in particular, and how this would block me from God by playing God, you know, wanting what I wanted and manipulating. And so in step six, I had to really give God back his job and ask him, and be really be willing to have this removed and really see that I lack the power to remove it myself. And then in step seven, simply and sincerely pray to him to have it removed and to have, you know, to do to do his will first and then ask him for help in having this defect. It may not be the defect God wants removed, but I certainly was willing to have it removed. And when I say that seven-step prayer, I don't take for granted that I get to pick the defects that are going to be taken from me, that God gets to pick them. Um, But just humbly asking him to remove it was um, redeeming into itself. And then, you know, preparing that list, I knew my son, you know, that I would be making direct amends to him. And one of the things I know about step eight is we can't ask for forgiveness until we have given forgiveness. I really had to see my son wasn't doing anything wrong. There was nothing he was doing wrong. He was doing his life according to his plans, which he's entitled to do. And so, you know, the top of page 83 tells us we clean house with the family. You know, we clean house and and we ask each morning in meditation that God show us the, the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. Patience, tolerance kindliness and love these were the this was this was the changed outlook this was indeed the changed outlook for me 
So I often tell the people I work with, we cannot make amends unless we're on good spiritual ground and in close connection with God. And I feel like that the shift that occurred with with the relationship with my son and doing this work clearly allowed that to happen. I was on good spiritual ground and in close connection with God. And on my son's 30th birthday, I did something that uh, was humbling, loving, and truly, truly supported by God because a, a good, good spiritual mentor says that in step nine, we give back to the people what we've taken from them. And I'm getting a little emotional here, but on my son's 30th birthday, I gave back to him his dignity. And an amazing thing happened. I felt like so much of what I had so much of what I had built up in this true from the false mind, this mind that does no reality, just melted away. And I had this beautiful new relationship with my son. And, um, you know, I certainly don't want you to think I live in a utopia now. I'm going to try to wrap up here and tell you that um, since then, step 10 has become very helpful <laughs> because um, my son has a freedom with me right now. And he wants me to know more about his life instead of less about his life. And he has saw fit to tell me things that um, have me concerned, one of which is um, he may move to another country. And um, this relationship with God first has helped me look at this relationship with my son, which continues to be um, ever so revealing and I just trust God with the fact that I'm not always going to be 100% comfortable with the choices my children make. I have to accept them. And I love them, but I'm not always going to be 100% comfortable because I'm a mom. So um, I think I'm going to wrap it up by there by just ending with this quote from the big book, which I love, which says, the central fact of our life today, of my life today, um, I'm trying to find it because it's on my favorite page, page 25. Um, yes, the central fact of my life today is the absolute certainty that my creator has entered into my heart and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. And he continues to accomplish those things for me which I could never do by myself. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you very much. Terry C. from New Jersey. That was absolutely beautiful. Next up will be Matt J.F. from Kentucky. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Melanie, and thank you very much for your service. Good morning, everyone. I am Matt J.F. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater experiencing a really glorious sunny morning in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, I'm just going to quickly qualify and then I'm going to, we'll see what, what happens. Uh, I don't really know what I'm about to say. Uh, so I am, uh, I'm 50 years old. Uh, I came to this program very unexpectedly in uh, February of 2019. 
I have been uh, overweight. Uh, I, was, I was born at a normal weight, and it's been sort of downhill and up the scale ever since. Um, I'm five foot eight. Uh, I ate my way up to 380 pounds in 2003 when I had ruin Y gastric bypass surgery. And uh, I maintained about a 110-pound weight loss and then eventually stabilized uh, at about 265 pounds, which is when I came to this program. Uh, this morning, I weighed 216.2 pounds, um, all of which I mention just by way of saying two things. Number one, uh, my experience at this program has been that it worked when I worked it but that um, for me, the weight is not the same as the recovery. Uh, I would gladly give back all of the weight up to 380 pounds and more to keep what I have gained uh, in my spirit and my heart. Uh, for, you know, for me, my, my experience has been that the weight just doesn't, it just doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is how I live my life. And uh, steps four through nine are very much about how I live my life. Um, I came to this program <clears throat> unexpectedly. Uh, I did not believe in this program. I believed in 12-step programs. I did not believe in this one. I had actually said aloud that I thought it was BS, but I didn't say BS. Uh, and uh, I won't recount how the crazy way that I came to the program other than to say that I, I have subsequently come to view it as like the first evidence of my higher power really moving in my life to bring me to where I was supposed to be in this program. Um, and I want, to do, I want to touch quickly on steps one through three because they are so foundational to how I approached steps four through nine and to how I approach living in 10, 11, and 12 today. Um, I, I, I think of how I arrived in this program as a sneak attack. Um, it was uh, it was not premeditated, and, and I didn't think it was possible for me to be a compulsive overeater. But that was ironically, um, I think, necessary because I didn't have any defense when when I came upon someone saying, "For me, there are some foods that once I start, I can't stop, and I can't stop from starting." I just couldn't deny that that was true. And I have subsequently come to see that as um, it's just an attribute of me that I'm a compulsive overeater. I mentioned I'm five foot eight. I have brown eyes. My lower teeth are pretty crooked. And I have a physical allergy and a mental twist that mean that one of the things that I do when I feel uncomfortable is I eat. And that there are some foods that once I start, I can't stop, and I can't stop from starting. And that there's nothing wrong with that at all. There's no, there's no, like, I'm not a moral failure because that's true any more than I'm a moral failure because I have brown eyes or crooked teeth. Like, I didn't choose any of that. And so, so that's step one for me. It's like, it's just a simple truth. And I actually shared in a meeting last night that, I resisted the words addiction and addict in relation to myself for a really long time because 
I just felt so uncom- I felt so disdainful of people who were addicts and of the word addiction. It felt like weakness. But the first time that I finally articulated that I'm an addict, I was so surprised that all I felt was relief. I didn't feel shame. I didn't feel guilt. And, you know, it's, it's funny. It's like the idea of having no defense. It's not that I have a defense that I choose not to deploy. I don't have any defense. None. And the thing is, who would choose any of that? I didn't choose any of that. All of those decisions, all those choices were made way above my pay grade. So step two for me was like, it's just logical, right? If I want, if I want to not live with the consequences of not treating those conditions, it's going to require a power greater than human because no human power created it in the first place. So that just meant for me that like, okay, I really, I don't want to feel this way anymore. And so taking step three was just, just really easy. It also helps that I have a very sort of black and white addict conception of a higher power. I just choose that God is everything. And that includes me. And that means that everything that has happened in my life or ever will happen or is happening right now is exactly what's supposed to be happening. It's all part of that higher power for me. So that brings me to step four. And you know what I tell sponsees who are you know, transitioning from step three to step four is, is what I know is true for me. I needed that conception of a higher power that is everything because I needed to be able to release my responsibility for things over which I have no control before embarking on step four. Because otherwise, the things that I uncovered in step four and the things that I had to admit in steps eight and nine, they would have crushed me. One of the things I realized along the way is, you know, I mentioned I have the condition of being a compulsive overeater, but that's not the same as my disease to me. My disease is that deep inside me, there is a belief that I am a worthless piece of crap, that I have nothing of any value to offer to anyone, and that it really would be better if I had never been born. But since I was, that belief will settle for me killing myself with endless boxes of donuts. And, and, and you might say, like, that's shame, maybe. But again, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that right away. And part of, part of the process of step four for me was when I, when I looked at what I resented and asked myself, but why is that important? Why does it seem important that that's not the way it is? And kept asking myself, in response to every answer, okay, but why does that matter? All of those trails eventually led to, well, that'll mean my disease is right, that I am a worthless piece of crap, that I do have nothing of any worth of value to offer, and I really should just kill myself. But if I had realized that without first having taken steps one through three and realized it's like it's just a fact that I'm a compulsive overeater. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad person because I didn't choose it. God chose it. 
That's what enabled me to get through step four, having to confront again and again that there's a belief deep inside me that isn't really very enjoyable. And here's the thing. If I believed that having brown eyes meant that I was a worthless piece of crap, there's no amount of thinking, working, exercising, dieting, um, praying, anything that's ever going to result in me not having brown eyes. So what makes me think it's ever going to be any different with compulsive overeating? But a belief I can choose and learn to behave and act differently. And that sequence was so crucial to my recovery. I can't, like, I I can be in denial of being a compulsive overeater, but I can choose to believe differently about my worth and value. And since my faith is that God is everything and I'm part of everything and therefore in some way that I don't understand, I'm part of that. How does it ever make sense for me to conclude that God is a worthless piece of crap? So the process of steps four through nine for me, um, I guess I would say what I would say about it is like, it's kind of ongoing. And I don't mean, I mean, like I still have, and, and the big book says like in step four, we started an inventory of our grosser defects of character on, on page 64. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. For me and my recovery, like the, it's, and, and this is how I work with sponsees too. I tell them, this is, a, for me, it was a mind sweeping expedition. It was not an excavation of every resentment I have ever had because a lot of them are not problematic in my life anymore. A lot of them, even before the program, I had already made amends about. What it was for me was it was enough to clear out the things that might blow me up on my journey to being able to live in 10, 11, and 12. That was what it was for. It was for, it was for, clearing, it was for clearing the space in front of me so that I didn't get blown up along the way. And the reason I had to take step three first was just that process of mind. Like, I didn't know how to sweep minds. Steps one through three for me were the process of learning how to sweep minds without getting blown up by them. Step four was sweeping them. And steps eight and nine were about identifying who the collateral damage had been along the way and doing my best to A, make sure that I didn't cause any more damage or that if I did, I immediately did what I did with the old damage, which was sincerely take responsibility and offer to make restitution. And that process too is ongoing for me. I have not completed every original amends from my original list. And, and, and all the evidence I need to know that both of those things are true for me, that step four did not need to be an excavation of everything and step nine did not need to be finished before I could live in 10, 11, and 12 is this. I remember new stuff all the time. So if they both needed to be completely done, I would be dead before they were completely done. 
What I did need to do was go at it with a will and a whole heart and do everything that I could to do them as well as I could along the way and as quickly as I could so that I had the new practice and skill of remembering that I'm part of that higher power and taking responsibility is part of my job. But I can't undo the past. So all I can really do is try and learn to live better and be better. And I think that sort of brings me to to the central point of that for me. Um, the The process of recovering for me, I think of recovery as um, it, it's, ju it's just a set of practices and a way of being that help me become every day, every moment of every day, ever so slightly more the person that I'm supposed to be, not the person I want to be, because I don't have enough perspective or understanding to know what I'm supposed to be. And I spent the first you know, nearly half century of my life really trying to run the show, really focused on how I wanted the world to be. For me, recovering has been about learning to understand that the world does not shape itself in response to how I want it to be because I'm not the director. I'm an actor. And so I've really, it's really a process of getting away from how do I want the world to be, which is about my expectations. And how do I want to be in the world? A world that I don't shape and I don't choose. All that I can choose is what's available to me. And every morning in my prayers, I say a, a, a sort of embellished version of the serenity prayer that includes the reminder that the things I cannot change are an endless ocean. The things I can is like a thimble. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's just the way, that's the way I'm made and that's the way my universe is made. Remembering that all I can, all I can choose is what's in front of me and what's available was one of the big lessons of steps four through nine for me. I can't make amends to someone who doesn't want to hear them, but I can live better. I can't let go immediately of all of my defects of character, but I can ask God to remove them when they come up. I, you know, life is not perfect. Um, and, and so we, you know, this is supposed to be about huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. So here's the proof of everything that I've said. The other morning, I was going to drive to a park to take a walk, which is something I do most days. And I went out to my car, and as I approached, I hit the key fob to unlock it and open the trunk, and nothing happened. And I thought, well, that's weird. I know this is a new battery in this key fob. And so I hit the lock button, thinking, well, I'll hear the, the horn beep, and nothing happened. Car battery was dead. Five years ago, 
I don't know the full totality of exactly how I would have replied, but I can tell you with 100% assurance that it would have involved me shrieking the F word at the top of my lungs, maybe from the, from the relative sound-insulated interior of my car, but maybe just standing in the parking lot so loudly that I would have been hoarse for the rest of the day. I would have been furious because that is not how I wanted the world to be. But that's not what happened. And, and it was funny because like, I was aware that it wasn't happening as it didn't happen. What did happen was I just kind of went, huh, okay, car battery's dead. I guess I'll walk to the park. And on the way, I'll try and figure out what my roadside assistance options are because I knew I had canceled one thing and I couldn't remember what I had. And so that's what I did. And while that may not sound very connected to steps four through nine, what I can tell you with assurance is that that process of uncovering, discovering, and discarding everything that I thought was true and learning what was true by moving from the world must be the way that I want to, okay, how do I want to be in the world? I don't want to be a person who stands beside a dead car shrieking the F-bomb into the world. I want to be the person who's going to accept that that's true and walk to the park. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Matt J.F. Matt J.F. from Kentucky. Elaine B. from Massachusetts. We're anxious to hear yours as well. Good morning to you. Good morning, Melanie C. Thank you for all your beautiful, faithful service. And I just thank God for a vision for you. You guys saved my life. In the middle of a, a huge, huge relapse, um, on day 45, I knew, I knew I had to come back to OA. 90 meetings in 90 days and on day 45 somebody gave me the number for a vision for you and the first message I heard was they call this plain insanity and the way that she talked about eating back then in July 2013 was exactly what I needed to hear and the next day I heard somebody else say we used to get our ease and comfort from food and now we get our ease and comfort from God and I had to learn how to do that and so um, I want to start, my share with surrender. God, I offer myself to you to build with me and do with me as you will. Relieve me of the bondage to self that I may better do your will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those that I would help of your love, your power, your way of life. May I do your will always. So my first four attempts to get through the steps failed and ended in that horrific relapse. Um, but every one of them was a gift that helped me become willing to believe that the God of my understanding, um, my Christian faith is Jesus, uh, that truly could and would free me from the obsession from food um, and the extra hundred pounds that I carried on my body for over 20 years. And the message I heard on vision for you was depth and weight, and it was all big book. And so, and I climbed with desperation of a dying man begging <laughs> my precious sponsor that brought me through the steps um, beginning in July of 2013. And um, a miracle happened for me. And they continue to happen every day as I continue to do this work. So step four says we made a searching, fearless, 
moral inventory of ourselves, my inventory, me, me, me. <laughs> and the instructions say, um, I love just before the resentment inventory, before they kick off with all of this stuff, it says what you really have is a spiritual malady. And that when our spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And this was about to happen to me. Um, I was taught to do the steps one column at a time. So column one, who was I sore at? I'm focusing on one. It's my father. Um, column two, why was I sore? Um, you know, he moved our family from California to Massachusetts when, when I was little, and I didn't like that idea. Um, he was unfaithful to my mom, and it really caused a big problem in our family. He agreed to send my older sister away when she got in trouble. Um, uh, when I asked for a bike, he said, get a job. And so the summer of my 13th year, I became a nanny for four kids under seven years of age, the beginning of not knowing what I'm doing and yet doing it anyway. <laughs> uh, his infidelity and eventually caused my mom to leave us. Um, actually, it was that same year. And uh, he had me take a summer job. He's the president upstairs in a suit, and I was downstairs on the assembly line working in the factory. And um, that spoke to me of who... I believed I was in his eyes, but he was just training me. Anyway, uh, the, it comes further. Uh, he let my little sister move to Chicago to be with my mother and my and my sister. Um, he eloped with the other woman, that, and then I was hired to be the maid. I agreed to be the maid for, for the household. Um, I noticed while I was ironing clothes that, oh, that's as Christian Dior. This says Ralph Lauren, <laughs> and I needed a new coat. I should have asked him, but he didn't take me shopping for anything except for my first bra and my prom gown, and I bet that was hard enough. He taught me to be independent and later admitted that he taught me too well. <laughs> Self-reliance. He drove me to work every day while listening to the news, and we barely spoke a word. Um, he wanted me to start providing for myself as soon as I graduated from college, and he encouraged me to file bankruptcy when I was in financial need. He married a third wife after his second life, wife left him. And all of those things I resented him for. And column three, we set aside um, each, each uh, name, the injuries. And the 12 and 12 explains that, you know, these, these are, are God-given instincts that were threatened, our instincts for survival, my self-esteem, my security, my personal relationships, my sex relations, my pride, my ambitions, my pocketbook were all impacted. And there was fear all over all of it. Um, so I've been through the steps a lot of times, and there are ways to really dig into those instincts. In instincts that's really helpful especially for those recurring resentments but that wasn't my experience with this first inventory and um, so what I needed to take a turn at this point in time uh, they call it turnarounds uh, here locally and I, I began uh, from big book page 66 I began to see that I'm paraphrasing that the wrongs wrongdoings of my father really dominated me I realized that perhaps my father was spiritually sick just like me, <laughs> though I didn't like this, his, the symptoms and the way they disturbed me, I learned to ask God to help me show him the same tolerance, love, and patience I had cheerfully grant a sick friend. I asked God how I could be helpful to my father and to save me from being angry, for God's will, not mine, to be done. And then put aside everything he had did and resolutely look for my own mistakes. This was my inventory and not his. And so my selfishness 
you know, I wanted him to support me financially and give me everything I wanted. <laughs> I wanted to feel important, connected, and loved. I wanted my whole family to be together and, and live like, you know, the Waltons or the Brady Bunch, you know. I wanted to be taught how to have healthy relationships, especially in marriage. The dishonesty. I told myself that everything was his fault. He was the safe person to blame. That I was unwanted, I was unloved, I was left behind. I needed to be self-reliant because it was all up to me. That it's okay not to build and invest in a relationship with my father because um, he didn't really want one. Um, that I was better off, you know, moving out as soon as possible. As soon as I heard he was getting married, I made plans to graduate a year early. And I, I moved to Boston to start college um, two weeks after I turned 18. Uh, these were all lies that I told myself uh, as though they were true that, you know, but none of them were true. My self-seeking behaviors, I blamed him. I defiantly went into self-reliance. Um, I, I judged his life in ways that don't look at mine, you know, man, I did everything. Um, I adopted a victim mentality and embraced compared despair when I imagined what life must be like for normal people, like the ones I, I see on TV and, and my moms and my sisters must be living. I disqualified myself from being worthy of a normal life, and I used food, food, food to stuff my emotions and get ease and comfort. My fear was that I was not good enough, I was not included, I was not important, valued, loved. I was a failure. It was all up to me. Uh, I had financial insecurity, rejection, and abandonment on my fear inventory, which I love the fear inventory. It's the hinge pin of my everyday life, even today. That was back in 2013, and here today, still every day, I need to actively work to trust infinite God more than my finite self. I am in the world to play the role he assigns just to the extent that I do so and um, think as he would have me and humbly rely on him. Does he enable me to match calamity with serenity? And that's right from page 69 in the big book. Um, so I ask God to take away my fear and direct my attention to what he would have me be. I don't have the actual inventory, but I know it was things like forgiving him, releasing him, accepting that it was not his fault, realizing he was doing the best he knew how, that everybody had a part to play, to love and accept them all the way I would want to be loved and accepted, praying and seeking for ways that I could bless God. Okay, so bless them, him. Um, step five. Okay, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs, just like I have done with you, and this little tough. <laughs> so uh, my sponsor listened to my inventory over the phone and provided feedback and insights. She presented new ideas that I could grab hold on so I could let go of the old ideas that were not working for me, and that is exactly what happened. And um, as I shared my resentment about my father, which was immediately followed by a similar inventory about my stepfather, my first stepfather, and second stepfather, actually. Um, a miracle happened. On big, in the big book on page 27, page 3, Dr. Carl Young talks about, tells Roland Hazard that here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have what are called vital spiritual experiences. 
To me, these occurrences are a phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas and emotions and attitudes which were once the guiding force of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. I immediately saw that I had blocked my father. I blocked my stepfather out of my life. And even though I had a powerful relationship with, with two parts of my God, my triune God, I had blocked my heavenly father the exact same way. And I just felt love and light flood in and overwhelm me. It was an amazing experience that has changed my life. And I have pursued relationship dedicatedly with my Heavenly Father ever since. Um, so uh, step six, we were ready to have God remove all the character defects. And I made a list of my false beliefs, my behaviors that caused them. I'll talk about them more in just a minute. But first, step seven, humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. God, I am willing that even now you continue to have all of me good and bad. I ask that you now remove every defective character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Give me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Still pray this every morning, every night, and in between as needed. <laughs> um, so I cooperate with working by God to throw out old conceptions and come up with some new ones, you know, to bring these shortcomings into my meditation and allow God to transform me by the renewing of my mind using scripture and practicing the opposite. So instead of blaming, take responsibility. Instead of self-reliance, build a life of God-reliance. Instead of seeking to get from God, my dad, I seek to give to my dad. Instead of um, shutting my father out, invite him in, love and accept him as is. Instead of being a powerless victim, become an active victor. Instead of fearing rejection, seek to accept others. Instead of fearing abandonment, seek to include and love others. So I made a list of the persons that we've harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. When I looked at my dad, I had to look at the people around it, uh, around that amends, and there were others. But I'm just focusing on this one relationship now, but I have to include my father, God, because they were so entwined I had no idea so step nine made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others a lot of my thoughts a lot of my attitudes a lot of my behaviors would cause harm if I had talked to my dad but I did make direct amends for not being the daughter that I wanted to be and and showing up and being more active and involved in my life and um and also some things with the stepmother the uh, first stepmother and uh, I took responsibility for my part. I offered to pay him back alone, and uh, the debt was forgiven. And then we moved into living amends. How am I going to show up in this relationship? So I opened my eyes to see him and appreciate who he was, to honor his interests and his life and, and his wife. Um, I opened my heart to love him um, as, you know, as he is, not as I wanted him to be. I honored our common bonds of family, spirituality, music, laughter, all the things. And I began to visit him more often and express my love and gratitude in ways that I thought he would appreciate, and he did. This new relationship started in September 2013 when I was making my amends. And by September 2015, 
I was so grateful because Alzheimer's started slowly beginning to take him away verbally and physically until the point where he, you know, came that he couldn't speak. You couldn't understand him when he was talking. He tried, but he couldn't form words that were intelligible. And then he became wheelchair bound and then he was bed bound and he actually died seven years later in September of 2020. But in that time, this prayer, I heard a recovery guy say, um, uh, and encourage people to pray, which I prayed many times and have shared with, with many people, may God bridge the gap between the love you needed and the love you received when you were a child. And that amends as I, I mean, that um, fifth step as I was giving it away, God filled that to overflowing and I overflowing love for my father. And I got to express it again and again and again and again. And I got, I get to be there for his wife to help however I can, whether it's giving her a call of encouragement, going and bringing her favorite food, helping to, um, you know, sell her old magazines so she has some money, helping to clear out the house and encourage her, hold her hand, whatever it is. My goal now and my amends to my heavenly father is to actively seek him and see how I can be of service to him and those about me. I train myself to find my ease and comfort in him. I do that in nature. I do it in music. I do it in working with others. I do it in scripture. I I do it just seeking his guidance. And sometimes it's just sitting in my father's lap and allowing his love to soak into me and mine to be reflected back to him. My goal today is to always be where he wants me to be, doing what he wants me to do, with whom he wants me to do it with, for as long as he wants me to do it, and when we're done, to stop, (laughs) to trust and rely on him instead of my finite self, to seek him and serve him and help others do the same. Listening prayer, that two-way prayer that was um, talked about in the 2017 Vision Free Conference has, has changed my life and I know the lives of many. And we agnostics on page 57, paragraph three, it says, even so God has restored us all to our right minds. He has come to all who have honestly sought him. When we drew near to him, he disclosed, disclosed himself to us. And there's this one other prayer that somebody taught me that, that I also love. It's from the big book, page 82, paragraph uh, one, one, se- uh, one sentence, and then straight across the page on page 83, paragraph one. And I pray this regularly too. God, please help me keep my spouse and family's happiness uppermost in my mind as I try with your grace to make these relationships right. Please show me how to find a way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love in my heart and soul. Please show me how to demonstrate these principles to my family and all those about me. And, you know, I don't think amends, some never stop. I, I, I could spend a lifetime trying to make amends to my dad. And I'll close with my final fair, favorite pa- um, passage in the big book. It's page 100. There's so many promises in the big book, but I love this one. It's to the new man, too. 
page 100, paragraph 1. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. Thanks again for the opportunity to share, and I pass. Thank you very much, Elaine B. Elaine is from Massachusetts. What what a privilege and an honor to be taken through the inventory process of each one of you this morning, in, in particular being vulnerable, and then the crescendo of those particular prayers and, and quotations from the big book just just exclamate the um, this process for me, the vulnerability, you know, that takes and the understanding to go through these processes, but yet alone to, to share that here with us is, is, I guess we're just very, very grateful. I'll speak for all of us. It's very profound. Thank you to each one of our panelists. Thank you so much. And we will ask for their contact information at the conclusion of this meeting so that you can be in touch. So stay tuned and listen for that information at the end. The share ID number for Sunday, June 13th, 2021, is 17144, 17,144, and that's the share ID number for this particular meeting. The lines are now open for questions. If you have a question for Terry C, Matt JF, or Elaine B, please unmute your phone by pressing star 1 on your phone keypad. Offer your first name the first letter of your last name. Then immediately having asked your question, please press star one again to remute your phone. Who would like to ask a question this morning? And questions only, please. This is Yvonne, please. Okay, so I heard Yvonne, I believe. And I heard Pedro. Jennifer H. Jennifer H. Kim B. Kim B, like boy? Yes. Mm-hmm. Anyone else with questions this morning? Christina J. Christina J. Okay, let's begin with those folks for now. Yvonne, Pedro, Jennifer, Kim, and Christina. Let's start with Yvonne and all the other folks. Would you please press star one? Good morning, Yvonne. Hi, uh, this is Yvonne T. from Pennsylvania. Um, Elaine, I heard her say a prayer of, I think it was something about um, the love we should have got from our father versus uh, what we actually got. I was hoping she could repeat it because I would love to hear that again. Thank you. Thank you very much. I loved it when I was first introduced to it, too. It says um, that we just pray that God would bridge the gap between the love we needed and the love we received when we were a child. Thank you for asking. Okay, thank you so much, Yvonne, for your your question. She's from Pennsylvania. Pedro B., your question, please. Good Good morning. Can I be heard? Loud and clear. Can you hear? Can you hear? Okay, good. Uh, my question is for Terry. Um, I heard her say that uh, she gave her dignity back to her son. Uh, I was wondering, what does that look like? What kind of action 
what kind of thought go into how do you give your dignity back to your son or your daughter? Can she perhaps talk a little bit about that? Terry C., that question would be for you. Want to press star one, please? We're not hearing you just yet, Terry C. Press star one and perhaps you're muted on your own line as well. Try one more time. Star one, Terry. Hello? There you are. Can you? Hello. Okay. I don't know why I'm having trouble with this this morning. I, my apologies. Um, okay. Thank you for the question, Pedro. Uh, let me just try to be as brief as I can because that's quite a long conversation. Um, I will just tell you that I didn't really go into that in men's, but I had to really come clean with my son about regretful behaviors, you know, how I was regretful for implying or insinuating or making him feel as if he was not managing his life well and I acknowledged his accomplishments you know I acknowledged the things that he um, you know that he has done that has just I'm so proud of him and and I don't always deserve the pride but he you know he's he's just done some beautiful things with his life and that's kind of where I need to live today I need to be focused on all that he is and not on all that he is not. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that I could go into a lot more than that, but that to me, the title of this, you know, the kind of the theme of today's special edition, the changed outlook, that's um, with the grace of God, only with the grace of God, can I have that mindset today. I think um, it was Matt that kept saying, you know, it's not what do I want the world to be, but how do I want to be in this world? You know, what kind of parent do I want to be? Do I want to be the parent that's showing patience, tolerance, love, and kindness? Or do I want to be the parent that, you know, kind of does the opposite of that and maybe has that, you know, um, selfish motive in, in my approach with my children? So um, I hope that's helpful, and I'll, I'll leave my contact information in case I can be more helpful. Thanks so much, Pedro, for your question and the answer. Jennifer H., your question, please, this morning. And where are you uh, from? Hi, thank you. Uh, from New York. This is a question for Terry. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, you gave a lot of hope to a lot of hurting parents out there. You spoke about in your inventory process being driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, and self-pity. Um, I've had trouble with uh, fourth step relating to the, uh, my relationship with one of my kids. I wondered if you could uh, give a little bit of insight into that, and also how your relationship, how you're using the steps now to help in your relationship with your son. And thank you for understanding the bondage of parenting as well as the bond. Thank you. Okay. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Um, well, Jennifer, I think, you know, the honesty, like it was, it's not easy to admit my behaviors, but really the one thing for me in the four-step process was that set-aside prayer. You know, I had to set aside everything I think I knew to beg and ask God for an open mind and a new experience and to help me really see the truth about the failure of my life and my son's life when I run it on my will. 
that was like, that's, that's pivotal for me, even as I say it, you know, I, I needed to really pray that prayer and mean that prayer in doing my fourth step work. And then God revealed to me, you know, then I was able to see, I mean, I, some of these things I, I wasn't even that aware of, you know, before the process, I wasn't even that aware of, you know, making a comment like, uh, oh, you know, this is a really, I invested in this, um, this uh, dating app, you should participate in it to uh, help me out as an investor. That's, that's like a, that's such a, I don't know. I don't know what that is, but you know, these were the things I had, I, that God helped me to see, you know, helped me to see that, you know, there wasn't a pre, those were comments that may have appeared innocent, but they weren't appreciated and they, they didn't dignify my son for his choices and who he is. So again, um, that's kind of a brief uh, re, uh, answer, but I also end with what I think you said, you know, these steps right now, you know, we continue to watch, we continue to watch. Step 10 tells me I continue to watch, you know, I don't just watch for, you know, the, the basics, resentment, fear, self-pity, self-seeking. Um, I have to watch for criticizing, complaining, critiquing. Where am I trying to control things? You know, the C's, a lot of the C words. Um, I have to look at that and, and really see. And, you know, and, and, and now I get to apologize like maybe normal people do when they, when they drift over into that area. Like, well, that was wrong of me. I shouldn't have said it that way. And, and that's like a new experience for me. That's kind of a new experience for me. So um, we could talk more offline if you'd like, but I hope that's helpful. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for your question and Terry's response to that. Kim B., your question, please, for the panelists. Kim B., star one, please. Yes, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, my question was just about the um that God prayer too about the about the bridging from the childhood. So um so that's it. Thank you. Oh good, thanks so much. Okay. Uh Christina J. Your question. Good morning, Christina J from the state of Washington. My question's for Elaine. Um Elaine, will you really hit the nail on the head for me when I was a child, my father pretty brutally rejected me between the ages of one and five before uh, my mother finally left him. And then I spent my whole life chasing validation because as an infant and as a young little baby, I did try to get validated from him and it would be rejected brutally. So I've worked through a lot of this, um, but it still comes up. And it comes up in the form of even when I share on the line, I'm scared. I'm scared that I'll be rejected. So my question to you would be, um, do you find it still comes up in subtle, sneaky ways? And um, I'm sure that maybe tenth and maybe a fourth or maybe talking it through with someone, but just to learn to be aware of that and when it does come up, how do you work with it? Because it's, it's just uh, feels like it's uh, from skin to bone in me. Thank you. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, I've been through the steps many times. This was my first pass all the way through, and I, 
I, I saw what I didn't see. I learned what I didn't know. And one of the things that I understand is that, you know, everything doesn't happen overnight. And I have learned where I used to have these emotions that I hated and I tried to stuff down. It was sort of like if your oil light on your dashboard goes off, I would punch it, you know, instead of just changing the oil. So these things now I I, I have recognized these bad feelings, these rejections, this wanting to disappear, this, this these shots of pain and fear and rejection that are they're actually invitations for me to take them to a loving higher power to reveal more truth that will set me free. And um, so those, I, I always say it's, it's, it's an invitation from God. So if I want to go back to my family of origin and try to find the solution, I couldn't find it there. I had to find some new conceptions, let go of those old ones and come up with some new ones. And some of the things that I did was I had to build relationship with my higher power that would be bigger than all of my relationships here on earth that would dictate what my relationship should be like. And a big part of it is accepting and forgiving, accepting and forgiving. Because just like me, nobody else is going to rise above being human. And if I'm disturbed, if something disturbs me, I'm the one that's disturbed. I have to fix my part. I cannot change them. So if they still have the power to disturb me, I need to look at what are the beliefs, what, what hook are they grabbing onto that is still in me. And that really is. That what the spiritual inventory has done in me. You know, do I have reactions I default to, like fear and loathing or blaming and complaining or, or um, self-soothing that uh, aren't effective in, in bringing about a real solution? Um, so it is such a deep spiritual work. And every single time, we get to go deeper. But I did have those type of resentments that were huge that kept coming up. I kept getting triggered. I kept getting hit over and over and over again. And there are ways that go a little bit more different, or I went through the steps in several different formats and learned different things. So I'm really exploring those, um, the, the impacts of our character, uh, of our um, instincts, you know, and really how it was impacting me. Herb K and Big Book Awakening both use a method that really digs into that. Um, other things um, are spending more time in like step six and seven with drop the rock, these behaviors I do over and over again. How can I really explore allowing God to remove these things that feel like default settings, like a warped bowling alley in the and you know I just keep ending up in the gutter over and over again and but I just want to honor the pain that you're in and I know many people on the line are are in pain these these things that drive us um, to seek the ease and comfort in any other source fill in the blank but food in our circumstance um, have a lot of power but God has more power. And we sometimes I had to supersize my God before I was really able to do this. I had to accept there was more to God than I could understand. So I just um, encourage you to keep doing the work and keep coming back. And, and, um, and, but most of all, keep seeking the 
<laughs> my husband always says, the light and love to reveal the truth um, that will set us free. And so, and, and I found that in the steps. And I know many people who have had, so I encourage you just to keep on coming and keep doing the work. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Christina J. from Washington for your question. It looks like there's probably time for at least two more questions this morning for our panelists. If you're interested in asking a question, if you give your first name, the first letter of your last name in your state. Mary B, Arizona. Leah S and Mary B. Let's go with those and see how the time works out, okay? So Leah S first and then followed by Mary B. First of all, thank you so much for all the panelists. I still have to ask my question to Terry. Um, do you apply the the the, uh, the word um, let go and let God, even though I keep doing it? Um, okay, I want to make sure I heard. How do I apply let go and let God? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um. <laughs> Uh, I think this probably stems to some logic I found way before the program, I guess. If, if you mean in relationship to my children, um, you know, I, I, I learned a long time ago that children are loaned. They're loaned to us. And um, it's kind of easier for me when I say let go and let God about my children because I get back to that concept that they never really belong to me. You know, that physically I gave them life, but spiritually they belong to God. Um, just in general in life, applying that is um, God is everything. I mean, Matt, you know, Matt said that, and, and I, I appreciated him kind of bringing that into this morning. Um, you know, I choose that God is everything. And when I take that first and second step um, and move on to that conviction and that decision, um, God is everything, and if God is everything, then I can, then I can give Him everything. Then I can, you know, turn all things into the Father of Light. You know, onto, you know, I can, I can give Him everything. So, and it's kind of like my high level response to that. Um, but when it comes day to day nitty gritty, let go and let God. Um, you know, that's just, you know, me remembering that God has allowed me to be in this day. And I need to I need to let him still be in charge of the day. So I hope that's helpful. Thank you, Leah S. for your question. Mary B., your question, please. May I be heard, Melanie? <laughs> Loud and clear. You oh, thank you. Hi. Thank you. Um, hi. I apologize. I got in on Matt's. Uh, well, first of all, thank you all for all your service. Uh, I got in on the end of Matt's, and I heard Elaine, but I will go back and listen to the recording. Thank God for the recording. But Elaine, this is for Elaine. I wish I had time to ask everybody. Elaine, you just mentioned Drop the Rock and Herb K. When I get your information, can I call you about further elaborating on those two points? Absolutely. Yes. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you so much. And I believe there might have been one more person that came in at the same time as Leah and Mary. And since we do have some more time, I wanted to offer that to the individual that was there as well that I missed. Do you still have your question this morning? Star one, please.
and perhaps I misheard then. Heard somebody just unmute there. Did you want to ask that a question? That was me. Asked? Yes, but it was I wasn't in before. This is Loretta H from Raleigh. Okay. Recovered. Okay. And we'll thank open you, it up Melody. For you, Loretta. Yeah. You betcha. Thank you. Um, any of the panelists can answer this question for me, and I've asked it before, and um, I don't know how to interpret it. So when you make your amends. Do you put yourself on the amends list? And I've heard it done both ways. One, it's in your recovery that you're making the amends, and two, you actually make an amends to yourself. I hope that's clear. And with that, anyone can answer that question for me. I just don't know how to proceed with that when I sponsor because I've been taught something, and I want to teach the right thing and through God. Okay, thank you. Any panelists want to jump in on that one? I was going to defer to Matt because I'd like to hear what he has to say. I haven't heard enough from him. Matt, uh, yeah, this is still with? Yeah, this is Matt. Sure. Um, uh, the, as far as I know, the big book doesn't say that we make amends to ourselves. I really try and follow the big book and working the steps. For me, um, working the steps and recovering and becoming you know, that like moment to moment ever so slightly more the person I'm supposed to be is my amends to myself. That's because life is better. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know of a wrong that I did to myself that can be that would have a better balm than that. So um, that's my answer. I support that. It's lovely. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for the answer. And then thank you, Loretta H., for the question. I hope that helps, helps you this, this go around with that particular question. And thanks again, panelists, for offering so much of yourself, and especially during this time of question and answer. And it's such a great way to, to bridge us together, you know, those that have these hankerings and these inklings about hearing just a little bit more. And then we'll have the blessed opportunity to be able to be in touch with you afterwards. So thanks again. Um, we will close this meeting this morning by reading from page 164, as we always do here on the Sunday special edition. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep